Are you not entertained? I finally made it. I'm finally here. What's up, beautiful people? Hey, what's up, citizens? I am your V podcaster host, Jay Starks, and welcome to the Bingo Book Podcast. Hey, <laughs> wow, what a what a journey to get here. You know, let me bring my myself up just a, a smidge, just a smidge. <laughs> we are on episode number 45. And hey, you know, I hope that you guys have had a great weekend so far. You know, I I, I really like our Sunday placement. You know, we, we kind of messed around with the dates a little bit. When we first started BBP, I think we were doing Fridays or Saturdays. Um, no, no, I take it back. We were doing Wednesdays and Saturdays and we just decided to compress everything to Sunday and it's been working out. Like, I, I really like this a lot. It's a, a great way to, to end the weekend, I think. Uh, but hey, let me go ahead and go to the chat real quick. So we got Val in the building. Hey, what's up, Val? The homie. What's up, girl? <laughs> we gonna make sure we give her a shout out real quick. Shout out to Val Just Elf. Although she's much, much more than just an elf. I assure you that. <laughs> um, but hey, we have a lot for today's episode. Uh, of course, we have our summer 2023 anime discussions for our A-side slate. And in today's episode, we'll be discussing several topics such as preparing for high school. Hmm. Preparing for high school, eh? You don't, you don't say. Well, of course, I have some nifty uh, tips that could really help for any of you that are students that's listening, uh, getting prepared for high school. Uh, you know, like I said, I've been there, done that, and I think that I can share some very valuable information to help you get accumulated to or uh, accumulated to high school. I think I said that right. <laughs> uh, and then we have also. Authors who target fan favorite characters. Now, if you've been reading mangas, watching anime for quite some time, even in other uh, shows that have had books before, there's always a time where an author says, you know what? I know this character is going to be loved and I'm going to make sure that we do something to them that's going to shake up the whole fandom. Yes, we are going to have that conversation. <laughs> but hey, don't forget, of course, uh, we have many, many more topics. After our first break, we'll return uh, with our B-side slate. So hey, feel, please kick back, grab a snack, and enjoy the show. And we're going to get straight up in this thing, all right? So our first anime for discussion is... The Dreaming Boy is a Realist, episode 11, titled, You Smell Like Sweat, You Stank. <laughs> Although some people, you know, sweat can be a, a turn on too, I guess, to some people, right? Uh, but yeah, it's titled, You Smell Like Sweat, You Must Have Worked Hard. Ooh, you worked hard, huh? Worked hard to build up that sweat. Hey, I ain't mad at it. So in this episode of The Dreaming Boy is a Realist, Aika volunteered with her classmate Sasaki as a male and female duo to provide a tour to Junior 
or middle school students. Now that's a good matter of fact, you know what? Let me break immersion on this plot real quick. Do y'all say junior high school or do y'all say middle school for students? To me, I've always felt like middle school just makes more sense than saying junior high. It, I don't know. That's just my thing. But, you know, y'all let me know in the chat how y'all feel about that. Um, chat says, uh, I definitely say middle school, says Val. Uh, hey, J- Jaina? Did I say that? Jaina, Jaina Burrs? So I'm going to say Jan. Is that okay? Jan says, I say middle school as well. I appreciate you for pulling up on us. Okay, thank you kindly. Um, yeah, I, I know. I, I feel like middle school just makes more sense than saying junior high. But uh, so, yeah. So um, during this episode, uh, they pair up as a male and female duo to provide a tour to middle school students uh, on their high school campus and so during this tour Aika and Sasaki explained several things to the middle school students as far as what they could look forward to after being accepted into their high school so you know it's somewhat of, of a mild orientation of them saying hey you know I know that y'all are looking at this high school this is what y'all should expect you know we're going to have you know we have these activities uh, you know, a bunch of things that you can do after school. Uh, and of course, because we're so prestigious on our academics, you know, y'all going to make sure that y'all put your best forward, foot forward with studying as well. And so, you know, she they begin to share a plethora of different um, things that they could expect at the school and more. And so it made me think about preparing for high school, preparing for high school. Now, I have five things that I really think that a lot of middle school, and it's not even just middle school. Maybe you're in elementary school. Now, mind you, if if you're in elementary school and you're already preparing for high school, you are like, you are an old person by uh, most generation standards, I would say. You're ahead of the game, and I applaud you for that. Give you some applause. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah I I definitely have some tips that I could share in helping you prepare for high school that I think could help go a very very long way so uh, Elle says Janay Janay ah Janay got it I got it Janay now charge (laughs) charge my head not my heart you know if I if I mess it up I promise I mean well, Janae, I promise. (laughs) Okay, well, starting with tip number one for helping you prepare for high school, start thinking about your future after high school. Yes, I know you're like, Jay, wait, wait a minute. I'm coming to high school and you want me to already start thinking about what's after high school? Yes, I want you to do that because think about it. What do you want to be? What do you want to do? These are questions that you should have uh, while you're in high school and you should find that answer as soon as possible. So you're going to want to do your research, you know, do your Googles, talk to folks, whatever you got to do and to engage yourself and figure out what you want to do in your future after high school. Um, And the reason being is four years It seems like a long time when you're actually in school, but I promise you those four years will go by so fast 
that you're not going to know what to hit you. And then you don't want to be caught off guard once you're in your senior year trying to figure out like, okay, what am I going to do now? Like, what what should I be prepared for? You know, but one, if you already had those questions answered, it'll make it a lot easier when you're going forward because uh, you already have a game plan set. Like, you know, okay, this is what I want to do. And I must, you know, set out for these goals. Now, here's the thing. Even though I'm telling you like, hey, you should research and figure out what you want to do, what you want to be. Um, it doesn't mean that those things can't change. It's mostly just getting the idea of what it is that you want to do and be well-versed on what you have to do to get that, you know? And so if that course is going to college and maybe you have to do four years to get your bachelor's and then another four years of to get your uh doctorates, your master's or your doctorates, at least you know that course and you can prepare yourself for that. And it's going to make things so much, so much easier. I promise you. Um, second thing that you should do when preparing for high school is develop good study habits. Man. Now this, this one, I, I know I, I can see you all already like, okay, I'm done with this. <laughs> I'm done with this. This is not fun. This is not cool. I'm 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 out of here. I'm I Jay, you had me in the first one. I was with you, but now you're telling me that I gotta I gotta study more. Yes, I'm telling you that. Because look, if you have plans on going to college or even a vocational or trade school, it's gonna be very critical to help you get faster in your growth when you do actually go to college or any of those uh, trade or vocational schools. And so if you already developed those good study habits, once you get there, it's just adding on to it and it makes the transition that much easier because the thing about college is there's no one necessarily, um, you know, guiding you along the way. I mean, yes, you have uh, student counselors and, you know, your parents or someone that uh, you may look up to or that you're close with what could possibly be helping you guide you along the way. But the decision at the end of the day is mostly yours. Like, sure, you know, your parents or maybe even yourself are, you know, putting yourself through school. You have all these different layers of what could happen. Um, but, no one's going to be there to te technically wake you up. Although, I mean, I guess you could have a roommate that would wake you up. But <laughs> in the end, you make those decisions. So if you decide that you're not going to get to class in college and, you know, not doing your work, all of those decisions are going to be your fault. And whatever happens, whatever the consequences are, you're going to have to deal with that. But if you develop good study habits and you know what you need to do, it's going to make it easier for you to handle your business and stay up on your grades. Um, now, third thing that you should do when preparing for high school is ask questions to your teachers and professionals. Now, let's kind of break this down a little bit when we talk about your teachers. So many teachers want to be relied upon. I mean, most teachers that I know, like they love their students and love the fact that they're able to help others. And so um, 
you know, that feeling of knowing like, man, I'm helping this student and I'm guiding them in the right direction. It gives them a, a great purpose, you know, and it fulfills them. So don't be afraid to talk to your teachers and ask them questions about like, hey, I'm interested in this for my future. What do you think? Or even when it comes down to your classwork, like, hey, I need help on this. What what do you think I should do? And they might assign you someone to tutor you. Uh, they might spend a little extra time at the class to help you kind of, you know, ensure what you might be missing out on, what you what you don't know, and kind of fill in the gap. And so those are little things that you could, you know, want to consider uh, when talking to your teachers. Now, I also say professionals. But why professionals? Why do you want to speak to professionals? What well, kind of goes back to what we were talking about uh, with tip number one of starting to think about your future after high school. Because if you know what you want to do, in life, you know, after after high school and, you know, your plan course is to go to college uh, or a trade school or something like that, speaking to a professional that's actually in that field can go a very long way because they can tell you what to expect. Like, hey, you know, I've been a veterinarian for the last 15 years. You know, I spent, I don't know, eight years in, 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 in school uh, in order to get my uh, doctorates. Uh, in this field. And this is how I see the field changing right now. And so they give you the good, the bad and the ugly of how you should prepare yourself going forward. And that that can really, really help you um, as you're progressing in, in your life, in your future. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's really easy. You call up a an agency uh, you know, maybe a, a doctor's office, wherever that professional may be located at, you call them up and say, hey, you know, I'm a high school student that's, you know, interested in this field. And, you know, I really like to know, like, what should I, you know, do to prepare for this? You know, I, I did my research. I know that I got to go to school for this, but I really want to know, like, can you explain like what what does a real day look like, you know, as a veterinarian, for an example? And, they'll be glad to explain it. They might even offer to have you come to their clinic, you know, or come to their office or something like that for a day. Heck, you might even get an opportunity to become a um, uh, an assistant, you know, it, it'll possibly be non-paid or it may be paid, um, you know, kind of an, in a volunteer position. And there you go. You know, you got uh, now you potentially have a job that's waiting for you as long as you're able to go through that uh, path of getting your education. So, yeah, speaking to professionals is a, a really good thing that can help. Uh, uh, Val says, hey, my my ADHD don't like it when it comes to studying. <laughs> studying sucks. <laughs> no, I, I totally get you, Val. Um, Another. Thing that will help you uh, when you make it to high school is speak with your parents about future finances. Now, I know that this may seem early, but trust me, it isn't. You know, I mean, just the idea of me going going to my parents and speaking to them in my freshman year of high school and saying, "Hey, so about the money, <laughs> about your money, you know, and and what we can do about going to school. Can, can you help me?" and um, you know, it's, it's not something that is common because I think a lot of parents, they tend to wait towards 
that junior to senior year to really start revving up and talking about their children's future. But don't be afraid to pull your parents aside, you know, in your freshman year and say, hey, like, you know, I looking at our circumstances, it doesn't look like we have a lot of money. What options do I have in order to be able to go to school, you know, to go to college? And they may say, well, you know, honey, I'm sorry, but, you know, we, we don't have the, the money to be able to put you through school. We may be able to get you a couple loans or something like that. Uh, but, you know, in, in overall, like you might want to consider joining the military or uh, going to uh, just trying some other avenues. Maybe you have to put in for scholarships. And so that'll give you a good gauge on, OK, I see my my the financial structure for my family and me getting financial assistance from them going to college is probably not going to be an option on the table. So I really need to apply myself and make good grades in high school so I can apply, apply for some scholarships that can help uh, hopefully go a long way for me in the end and make this ride uh, a lot easier once I do decide to go to college, if that's something you choose to do. Um. And then lastly, I would say a tip that would be very, very helpful for those of you uh, that are preparing to go to high school is when you're in high school, create relationships with ambitious and determined students. And so uh, the best quote that I feel that comes from this is the idea of birds of a feather flock together. And I'm sure a lot of y'all have probably heard that before, but it's true. You know, if you're hanging around uh, knuckleheads, you know, people that are doing bad things constantly, you're likely going to do some bad things too, hanging around them. And so I would say, you know, surround yourself with people that are really, ha you know, have bright futures ahead of them that are highly determined, want to do things. And I, of course, like, let me kind of dial this back. I'm not saying don't have fun because high school should be a fun time. You know, it should be a good time, but it also should be a learning thing too. Uh, but don't get complacent and feel like, okay, all, you know, the only thing I should be concerned about is having fun, uh, having a good time, looking good, uh, and, you know, being in that popularity contest, because I can tell you, once you get out of high school, that popularity contest and all that, it's not going to matter. You know, trust me, you know, 10, 15 years from now, especially if y'all have some type of like high school reunion or, and things of that nature, everybody's going to be excited about the person that seems like they got the bag. <laughs> they got the money that look, you know, like, Oh snap, like Jay. Oh yeah. Child. He got that money, honey. He got that paper. And that's going to be the conversation. And y'all might reminisce about things in the past of, uh, you know, how, uh, fights might've broke out and, you know, just little quirky things like that. But for the most part, they're going to be very excited about talking about your future, the things that you've accomplished. Uh, and it's a great time. And who knows, you know, you might end up hooking up with somebody uh, depending on how that may, may go. But yeah, but that, that's my five tips that I will say. And I kind of go back and highlight that again. So one, start thinking about your future after high school Two, develop good study habits. Three, Ask questions to your teachers and professionals. 
four, speak with your parents about your uh, future finances. And then lastly, five, create relationships with ambitious and or determined students. And I promise you, you follow those five steps, at least those five. And there's, of course, this is there's way more things that you could do that could make your experience um, in high school great. But these five things, if you're talking about a um, a list for success, truly, truly going to be helpful. I promise. But OK. All right. Well, we move on to our next anime for discussion. And that is Reign of the Seven Spellblades, episode 11, titled Duty. Ooh. And man, <laughs> this episode was kind of off the chain <laughs> in so many different ways. Um, so after being defeated by Oliver, Joseph Albright shares a story with the Rose Sword crew about his past. And in these flashbacks, Joseph explains how a young girl used to visit his house frequently to play chess. Which, man, past times of playing chess. I mean, I did that a couple times before. And it was fun. Like chess, checkers. It was a good time, you know, <laughs> but uh, in them playing chess together, she could never win. So they constantly had these chess matches uh, pretty much almost every day. And the young girl was just, you know, frustrated, but also excited at the fact that, you know what, I'm determined, like I'm going to I know I can win. So um, she studied pretty much every day and hoped to improve just a little, which I really think is dope. Like, hey. Even if I just improve just a little bit after our sessions of playing each other in my, you know, if I go study a little bit later, um, if I improve just a margin, just a sliver, then that means that I did something successful uh, each day. And so one day the young girl finally beats Joseph in chess. And in complete shock about her progression, Joseph shared the news with his father and pretty much was like, yo, Pops, yo, I know you will not believe this. I played this girl almost every day in chess. And I mean, I was just blowing her out. Like she had no chance. But every day I could see her getting better. And I was, you know, and then finally she beat me today. Like, can you believe that, Dad? Like, it was like, I'm so proud of her. And his reaction was, uh, <laughs> it was not pleasant. You know, for those of y'all that are watching the live stream, you can see this picture right now. After hearing Joseph lost to a commoner, his father cast several electric spells on him as punishment for his failure. Dang. <laughs> uh, that was a shocking experience for Joseph. Yes, yes, that was a pun. It was. <laughs> um, but my question is, is this tough love? Is this tough love? Hmm. Now we got to define what tough love is. What is tough love? So um, Webster says tough love is the act of treating a person sternly or harshly with the intent to help them in the long run. So long story short, um, I'm going to treat you bad because 
in the long run, you'll be better off learning from these experiences. Something to that effect. So my first thoughts after considering like this episode of uh, Reign of the Seven Spellblades is, okay, was this an act of tough love from Joseph's papa? <laughs> Uh, no, <laughs> because in this definition, I heard nothing about um, inflicting physical pain or someone lashing out violently. Like, it don't say nothing in that terms of what tough love is. So clearly, this is there's a difference between tough love and abuse. And uh, now, my, mind you, trigger warning, th this, this does have elements of abuse in it so i do apologize about that however um i feel like this is something that we definitely have to talk about because very often i think the two get mixed up between um tough love and abuse and they're not the same <laughs> they're not the same i actually asked uh, one of my homies earlier today uh, when i was kind of jotting out these uh topics and i asked like hey do y'all feel that tough love and abuse are different or the same? And, you know, he pretty much outlined like, no, I, I think they're like two completely different things. You know, and he kind of gave his definitions about it. And yeah, I mean, but you can also kind of see some blurred lines in it if you don't know what the true definition of tough love is. Right. Hey, we got Zen in the building. Hey, what's up, Zen? The homie. <laughs> uh, I hope that your day is going well and pleasant. Um, but yeah, we're talking about tough love right now. You know, what is what are your thoughts about tough love? Have you experienced tough love? Um, now I think the best example of tough love could be um when you when you share knowledge with somebody, like let's say, for example, me, you know, I've had many, many um, uh, folks that are younger than me that I mentored and I've shared knowledge. I've shared information with them that I thought that could be very helpful. Uh, and they don't use any of that knowledge. They don't, they don't apply any of the things that I share with them. And, and so me, I'm like, okay, well, I got to give them some tough love. I'm going to allow them to experience whatever the repercussions is from them, the decisions that they make and not utilizing the knowledge that I share with them. And that's it, you know, and that's to me, that's the best example of tough love is like, hey, you know what you, you know, I'm I'm going to kind of treat you with like a, a long handed spoon handled spoon you know, put some distance between us, allow you to make the mistakes, you know, even though I, I could have shared some knowledge, some more information with you, or I could have just saved you from um, uh, some some bad experiences. But no, instead, I'm just going to let you go through it and you see for yourself. And then hopefully at the end of the day, we can sh we can talk about it and say, OK, what did we learn at the end of the day from this? <laughs> a, a young Jay will say, nothing. <laughs> I learned nothing and get a straight up whooping. <laughs> My y'all. Okay. I'm gonna start crying up in this piece because flashbacks of that belt going across my back. 
<laughs> but yeah, tough love, I, I think, can be uh, effective in some ways. And it's, it's good. But I also feel that, you know, if you can help somebody prevent them from being in a bad situation, then you should do it. Uh, but it shouldn't be at the expense of putting yourself necessarily in a bad situation. Um, or, you know, if you had, if you have someone that's like a repeat offender, because that's something that boils me up is, um, someone that you try to help and they keep making the same mistake over and over and over again. It's super annoying. So to that extent, I was like, no, let them give them some tough love, (laughs) let them experience it. But, but Hey, if you have some examples of tough love things that you've been through in life, Feel free to share that in the comments below. We'd love to hear some of the things that you've been through and maybe what you learned from that tough love. Uh, now, if you had some bad experiences from tough love, uh, you know, you feel free to share that as well. Maybe we can get through that together. Okay, we move on to our next anime for discussion, and that is Boom. Undead Murder Farce, episode 11, titled Where the Wolves Dwell. Ooh, I can hear them growling right now. (laughs) Or is that my stomach? (laughs) Uh, In this episode of Undead Murder Farce, Shizuka wakes up in an unknown location, which is later revealed to be the uh, werewolves village of Wolfenhell. Wolfenhell. And I actually, I want to go, if I had enough time, I wanted to do some research to see is Wolfenhell like a real place within like the lore for werewolves? Because that's the first time I've heard of that word before. But it seemed like it could be um, something that is common um, throughout werewolf uh, lore. Uh, but yeah, so also, you know, in this episode, uh, as she was surrounded by female werewolves, Shizuka asked, what issues they are having in the village and she may be able to provide some assistance to them along with her master Rindo. And so, yeah, the, she, you know, the female werewolves that she's surrounded with, uh, they pretty much like, Hey, you know, we're, you know, a lot of the young female werewolves are coming up missing and, you know, uh, we don't know what's going on because as soon as it, it's, it rains, once these, um, female werewolves are being taken from the village, we're not able to find out where they are because the rain dulls our sense of smell and our hearing and stuff like that. And so, um, however, even though Shizuka wanted to provide them with some assistance, they became concerned with her and the village's safety. And so the werewolf Nora uh, devised a plan to help Shizuka escape so that she could return back to the surface. And in an attempt to leave the village, Shizuka gets caught and is ex- uh, forced to explain how and why she entered Wolfenhill to the village's elder. And so for those of you that are watching the live stream right now, um, you can see the elder right now who does not look happy with the with the presence of Shizuka as she's looking at her. Like she looks pretty angry. Uh, but I wanted to talk about the importance of our elders. 
like what what is the importance of our elders you know our elderly folks and i can think of several different reasons why uh, our elder statesmen are so important to us in society so one would be the wealth of knowledge from their life experiences you know um i mean think about it if you know someone that's you know old older and you know they're let's say 80 years old that's 80 years of life that they've lived and so you would expect that they have a lot of knowledge and information from their life experiences that could be shared uh, with you from, you know, things that they, and not only that, but just the years that they've able to learn new stuff over time. I mean, we have, you know, some of our seniors that are, you know, 60, 70, 80, sometimes 90 years old that are actually on the internet, <laughs> on the internet, playing games on social media, just, you know, and it, of course they may not be as fast as some of the younger folks at, you know, doing stuff on it, but they're learning nonetheless and they're active on that stuff. And I think that's hella cool. Um, another thing is elders have lots of connections. I mean, once when you lived a long time, um, of course you're going to build relationships with many different people. And so when I, it makes me think about my own grandma and the network that she has, you know, she has literally like a, um, I don't know, like an address book dedicated to like all the people that she knows from family members, friends, people in clergy. I mean, just well known to uh, by a lot of people uh, throughout our town and across um, her area. And so, I mean, nine times out of 10, if you were to ask a question and maybe you need help on something, you know, an elder person might have a connection that could really help you go a long way. So don't be afraid to talk to somebody that's older than you and say, Hey, like I'm, you know, I'm interested in this area. Uh, do you happen to know someone that might have some information in this? And, you know, they might take out the, the address book. And, well, maybe I got a friend of a friend that might know such and such. And I know that they were a truck driver. Or, I mean, you know, it can <laughs> the conversation can get out a little bit out of hand, but it's always a good heart in the end of it. Right. <laughs> um, also, with uh, our elders, they are able to share very important information that we should consider. And so when you've lived, you know, you know, significant amount of time uh, on this planet, um, you kind of are able to like um, summarize things or reduce things of like what's really, really important and get to the heart of a situation. So looking for a root cause. And I think that our elders are really good at that and seeing like kind of um, uh, around the the fluff and say hey you know what you need to focus on this i'm looking at all these different details and things that you shared but this is something that truly you should focus on that i think is important and you know those can be really really helpful for you going forward and can help you kind of um, focus on what's more important as well uh and then lastly i really feel i mean just like in our anime here with undead murder forest with this elder of this village for Wolf in Hell, um, a lot of our elders are protectors. You know, they want to ensure that generations 
uh, are able to thrive in the future. They want they want the future to, to, to go on without them and hope that their contributions were great. And so, you know, that's one one reason why I have a lot of respect for our elders because of the sacrifices that they've made to ensure that we're able to have the future that we have now and and, and going forward. Um, now, I mean, I, I do say that, but and I understand when we look at politics uh, or even some of our national or global issues around the world that this isn't always true. You know, when it comes down to our elders or how we think about them. And I understand that. Um, but I do think that a majority do want the best for us. And, you know, me speaking from my own experience with my very loved, beloved grandmother, um, you know, she uh, is the patriarch. You know, she wants, uh, you know, the best for all of us. And I would like to think that um, the same is for for you and the listeners uh, out there as well. So, hey, make sure if you have an elder nearby to tell them how much you love them, you appreciate them. Feel free to have, cut some some conversations and you never know what you'll learn in those sit downs. Okay, well, hey, let's get to our next anime for discussion, and that is season two of Mushoku Tensei Jobless Reincarnation, episode 11, titled To You. Whew. Okay, I can get through this. <laughs> I promise I can get through this. All right. So in this episode of Jobless Reincarnation, Rudis is asked by Fitz to escort her on a mission as he's the only one that could help her based on his position and skills as a mage. Now, after several attempted uh, attempts to get Rudis to uh, accept this task, because she was pretty much pestering Rudis like, Look, you know, I need you, your help on this. And Rudis was like, oh, no, you don't have to explain the whole story. I'll do this, you know, and, you know, here's how we're going to do it. And he, she's like, no, I, I need you to do this mission this specific way, please. Like, just do it this way. And finally, Rudis is like, OK, fine, Fitz, I, I got you. Like, no problem. <laughs> and so uh, after he accepts, Fitz becomes super excited as this was all a part of her plan uh, or his plan <laughs> to finally reveal their true identity as Rudis's long lost elven friend and protege, Sophiette. Oh, okay. So <laughs> this episode, um, firstly, I got to say that when well, we're talking about reuniting with someone you loved, right? And I feel like this is a perfect episode to talk about that. Because initially, like in this episode, when Rudis said Fitzsenpai, is your real name Sophiette by any chance? And Sophie was surprised that he remembered her and her eyes began to whelp. Oh, my God. <laughs> I lost it. I, <laughs> I cried so much. I, I really did. I was in tears, just like, just... Boo-hooing like it no to no extent because those pinned up emotions that you have for someone that you loved, uh, despite what may have happened or came between you and that person in the past, you know, it's just those wave of emotions that come 
with all of that. It's it's a lie. It really is a lie. And, um, you know, it just kind of takes me back to when I broke up with my ex for the first time. Uh, I think we went about, we went almost a year without speaking to each other. And man, I got to tell you, that year that I, we went without speaking to each other, it was like torture because anytime that I would think about them, I would get so emotional. Like, I wonder how they're doing. I hope they're okay and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, when you're able to be in a space where, you know, you can be in the same room and have a conversation with someone that you cared about, it's a really unique feeling. Like, uh, you know, it's, I don't know, the best way I can describe that feeling is it's liberating in the way that you're just, it's like you flushed, you're like, you flushed out that emotion from your system and you're just refreshed and happy that that person is there with you now and you're having, you're able to have a conversation. Um, but it's also nurturing too of, you know, two people that were at some point equally yoked and being able to like, kind of like naturally find y'all way back together again. It's, it's very common feeling. This is so crazy, but, but yeah, if you've ever had experiences with um, people that you reunited with that you love before, I'd love to hear those um, beautiful stories in the chat below. Uh, you know, and even if it's a book, I don't care if it's a block of text, share that story with me because I like a good uh, tear jerking moment. You may not believe it, but I do. Uh, I often, I say this a lot on my channel, but I think crying is so healthy. Like I will actually force myself to cry at least mm, like maybe once out of like two or three months if I haven't cried in a while, which is kind of hard because <laughs> literally at all these animes, there's going to be at least one moment where I'm going to have, there's a tear jerking moment. And I'm going to cry easily, <laughs> but yeah, but hey, okay. Next is Sweet Reincarnation, episode 12, titled The Flavor of Consolation, Tarte Tartan. I don't know if that's just tart, <laughs> tart, tart, tartatan. <laughs> but in this episode of Sweet Reincarnation, after defeating the Trote's army, Squall returns back to the Huberic's castle feeling completely defeated with the loss of so many men's lives that were under his command. So yeah, so the young Squall in the previous episode, basically he was put in a position where he's like, hey, you know, because you're coming of age, you're going to be marrying my daughter Petrie here very soon. Hey, there's going to be this little insurrection that's happening in this area. I want, I'm going to send you out there with a, a unit, a small little army, and, you know, y'all should be able to defend this without losing any lives, uh, if any at all. And so uh, with them end up pretty much getting put into a, um, there was a trap that was set and Squall ended up losing a lot of, a lot of people under his command. He felt really bad. You know, he felt really bad about those people's lives that were lost, which I think is really cool of someone with like leadership qualities like that. Um, but in order to cheer him up, Lord Casserole and Lord Huberick asked Patry if he could do something that would cheer Squall up. 
Now, with them being around the same age, they could possibly relate to each other and it could make it a little bit more easily for them to talk amongst each other, right? And so Pastry gets the idea of like, you know what? I'm going to create this dessert called the Tarte Tartan and share some kind words to help uplift Squall's spirits. Look at Pastry. Such a good guy. Good kiddo. <laughs> but yeah, we're talking about uplifting others who are feeling down. You know, what can you do to uplift people that are feeling down in the in the dumps? Um, I think the first thing that come to mind, like prior to trying to uplift somebody, you got to be able to read the room. You know, I think this is so important because, um, you know, think about the timing, you know, is it the right time for you to kind of reach out to someone and try to like, you know, help be there for them. Uh, and think about the location as well. You know, you want to make sure that the opportunity is right to help others. Now, that doesn't mean that you wait a long, you know, extended amount of time before you reach out to someone because um, sometimes that could backfire as well. So you want to kind of be in the just right lane. Now, you also want to be careful with your words because you don't want to offend anyone. Uh, but here's the thing about that. Even though you want to be careful with your words, if you mess up, if you say something that might seem a little bit insensitive, I really do think that the person that you're speaking to, they'll know when you're actually being genuine and trying to help, uh, provided to just seeing some catch words, you know, or phrases, you know, that are kind of like what you're supposed to quote unquote do when somebody's not feeling too hot and, and, and feeling down. And so, uh, I feel like it for me personally, I can tell when somebody is being forthcoming and, and really worried about me and concerned about my future and my health or whatnot compared to someone that's just saying it just to say it just to make themselves feel good or um, to be in line with, I guess, a, a societal cue. Right. Um then you want to be empathetic, like be empathetic. Now, for me, this is something that's like super important because I really feel like it's important to put yourself in other people's shoes. Like, come on, like, like if I mean, technically, I know you can't put yourself in someone's shoes and be able to 100 percent know exactly what they're experiencing, but at least to kind of project yourself in that way. Uh, of what they could potentially go through, I feel like goes a very long way. And that shows, you know, in your relationships with other people. And yeah, just be empathetic. You know, when you're, when you uh, understand what somebody else may be going through something similar, uh, I think that makes it a lot easier when you're having that conversation with somebody. And it could be through your own experiences as well. Uh, and that could help uplift that person. We're not, we're not, not feeling at the greatest. But yeah, well, those are just some things to help uplift others that are feeling down. And hopefully you're not, you know, if you're not, if you're feeling bound, <laughs> you're feeling bound. <laughs> if you're feeling down right now, you know, uh, you know, surround yourself with good people, good energy. Uh, and, you know, don't let that thing continue to beat you down, you know, because I'm a firm believer that if you continue to sulk in that same kind of like energy, 
uh, it could end up being very negative to, for your health. So, you know, of course, I'm not a professional, uh, you know, a healthcare provider or anything like that. Uh, if you need, uh, you know, any immediate assistance, you know, feel free to reach out to professionals within the healthcare facility. Um, there's going to be hotlines out there that you can contact as well. But just don't do this alone or feel like you have to handle all of life things by yourself. Okay. Jay loves you. <laughs> all right. We move. We move on to our next anime for discussion. And that is. The Great Cleric, episode 11, titled Trouble in St. Sharul. Now, in this episode of The Great Cleric, Lucio is visited by Nanaella and Monica, two women from the Adventurous Guild in the Maritoni branch, whom Lucio also claims were huge reasons for his success as becoming a strong healer. So he's pretty much like, look, these two women right here, they made me. <laughs> they, they were the ones that helped me become who I am, who I is today, right? Uh, so excited to be in Lucille's presence, they suggest that they all go out on a date together and watching him heal other adventurers and citizens of the surrounding area. So their, their thoughts of a good time is like, hey, we just want to watch you do what you do best, Lucille, and that's be a healer. So that's how we're going to date and spend our time with you. <laughs> now, even though that's kind of a long shot from this title um, or this topic, I should say, uh, I do want to talk about the future of polygamy and polyamory. Now, what does this have to do with it? So, I mean, the screenshot for those that are watching the live stream, you can see Lucille kind of sandwiched in between uh, Nanaella and Monica. And, you know, they're pretty much like on a date together. They're having a, a nice conversation. But it made me think about the future uh, for these, um, these life choices. And so we all know that times have changed. And I mean, me personally, I think they've changed for the best, at least when it comes down to things revolving around the concept of sexual orientation, gender, etc. And um, in the realm of sexuality, I mean, of course, I don't have any data to prove my theories here, but I really do think that polygamy and polyamory have grown significantly over the years and will continue to do so as we move forward in the future. Um, now first let's define like what polygamy and polyamory are, because I'm sure y'all are, some of y'all are like, okay, I've heard these terms before, but what do they really mean? Like, can you, can you help me out here, Jay? Well, I got you. <laughs> Your boy Jay has you. So let's talk about polygamy. So polygamy is the practice or state of having more than one spouse at a time. So basically you're married to uh, multiple people, right? You have, you, 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 maybe you are a husband that has two wives, or maybe you're a wife that has two husbands and so on and so forth, you know, or maybe it's a mixed pot. Maybe I have four partners, you know, that are all married and intertwined that way. And, you know, if, I, you know, of course, this is different when you look at different continents along the world and different countries, uh, and their belief systems and how the that 
um, country, uh, I guess you could say, governs across their ideas about polygamy because some states could be for and others could be against. Uh, but if you are happen to be in a society where this is something that is um, accepted, you know, I don't know. It seems like some people are pretty happy in those positions. You know, now, of course, you got to take some um, historical references from that or, uh, f- you know, family uh, rules as well, because sometimes it might be a rights thing where, you know, you end up meeting your wife, you know, th- through the family and y'all are kind of like wedded together that way, you know? So there's a lot of ways that that can come about. So then you have polyamory, uh, which is the practice of practicing in multiple romantic and sexual relationships with the knowledge and consent of all partners. And so the difference from this in polygamy, so polygamy, we're saying you're married to multiple people and here well, polyamory, we're saying you're getting it on with multiple people. <laughs> you're doing the nasty <laughs> with multiple people. And, uh, you know, and well, I can't even say it's just sexual. It can be romantic as well, because that's what they outline in the definition as well. And so, um, I, I man, I really like that uh, polyamory is becoming something that's a little bit more common, too. And. I mean, provided if you've, you know, been around for a while, people will say, okay, you are you pretty much talking about a uh, garden tool, (laughs) people that are garden tools. Uh, I need y'all to read between the lines on that one. (laughs) Uh, But I don't I don't think it's really like that. I think that people should be able to be, you know, sexually liberated and if that's something they enjoy doing and they have partners that enjoy it too, then what's the problem, you know? And that's where we are in today's society where I think this is going to be great for the future of polygamy and polyamory. And so the question is, why do I think people practicing polygamy and or uh, polyamory will grow? Um, when, when you look at today, more people are accepting the idea of relationships being something that is not exclusive to just one person. And I think that's okay. Like you should, it because in the end, it's all about what that one thing that you hear very often. And it's the super important key. And that's communication. As long as you communicate with the, your partner, with your friend, whoever, and y'all are okay on the same page or whatever, you know, the whole concept of like friends or benefits, whatever it may be, with communication, all you can pretty much navigate through all these things. Now, provided I understand that, you know, we have these things called feelings. <laughs> and some people can get caught up in those feelings. And so with that communication, if you talk about no strings attached, or you can you're able to have develop those feelings for other people, and it's a mutual uh, understanding amongst all parties involved, then it's cool, right? Like who who cares, right? Um, another thing that made me kind of consider like why I think polygamy and polyamory will grow is in at least in America, when you think about divorce rates. Now, according to the American Psychological Association, that's the APA for y'all out there, they say that approximately 
40 to 50% of first marriages end in divorce. So for any of y'all out there that's gambling or that have gambled before, is 40 to 50% good chances? <laughs> I mean, you tell me. I don't know. Like You tell me. Is 40 to 50% a good chance? I, I don't know. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no on that. But here, it gets even worse, though. Listen to this. The divorce rate for second marriages is even higher with approximately 60 to 67% of second marriages ending in divorce as well. What is going on? <laughs> like, for real, like, what is going on out there to where 60 to 67% of second marriages end in divorce as well? And so I'm not saying this to give any of y'all um, uh, false hopes or desires that, or just the idea that marriages can't be successful because they clearly can be right. They can be. Um, but it, to me, it kind of screams that we have some type of societal issues if those rates are so high. Right. Because think about it. When you hear about unemployment rates being high, right. You, the, 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 there's a call to action of what can we do to lower the rates for unemployment? What is the, what is the, the thing that fixes divorce rates and makes those lower, lower? I mean, that's, that's a huge, that's a huge conversation that I don't have the answers for, but what I will say is, um, now I'm not saying that polygamy and polyamory don't have their set of issues because they do, but I do think that the fact that more people are becoming open to uh, open relationships or just exploration in these these things, uh, I feel like this is a good thing that could possibly circumvent divorce rates being so high because people are able to actually express and find what they truly want or what works for them going forward. So, but yeah, but that's my thoughts on that. Uh, man, I'd love to hear y'all y'all opinions on uh, polygamy and polyamory, uh, polyamory in the comments below. Uh, let me know what y'all thoughts are. I, I would love to hear them. Okay, we move. We move on to our next anime for discussion. And that is... Roroni Kenshin, episode 11 titled Savage Hananya, Honorable Shikujo. Now, in this episode of Kenshin, um, Roroni Kenshin, Kenshin arrives at Kandyu Takeda's hideout in efforts to save Megumi. Now, on his arrival, he is greeted by Hanya, a masked man. So, for, you know, he's like, okay, he's a masked dude. He's got to be skilled, right? <laughs> so an all-out bout fight just breaks out between them, and pretty much Kenshin gets the best of him and breaks his mask. And when he breaks Hanya's mask, he reveals his face, which, man, for those of y'all that are watching the live stream right now, watching the, the video, um, man, he looks... Uh, torn down it, it looks he looks pretty beat up you know and now this mind you this is not from the fight that he had with Kenshin 
you know, Hanya begins to share the horrors of what happened to him growing up and what led him to become a spy. And so in him um, sharing his story, he was, you know, explaining how, you know, he pretty much grew up in the slums where, you know, he didn't have very much and he struggled day to day trying to find food to eat. And eventually it led him down a path where he was offered a job to become a spy and where he was able to at least be able to survive and gain skills to be able to fend for himself. And so in becoming a spy, he had to do some very extreme things. And that's kind of where I want to have this conversation of becoming a spy at where uh, Hanya explains like, yeah, in order for me to become a spy in this times, I had to burn my face off to ensure that I could not be um, linked back to somebody else, another family that could say, oh, he looks like he comes from this lineage or this area. Because we all know, like, over time, um, you can kind of, you can kind of uh, theorize, like, where a person might have come from based off of some of, like, their facial features, uh, definitely, like, how they may speak. And we know this today, like, um, especially for those of you that may be in America or Canada uh, or from other like specific um, locations throughout the world where you can pretty much pinpoint where that person may be from just based off of their tone and how they speak, you know, their their vocalization. Right. And so you may not know that somebody is from, let's say, a state like Alabama, but if they talk enough, you automatically kind of think like, OK, I don't know exactly where they are from, but they got to be from somewhere down south. And you'd probably be right about it, right? And so with Hanya in this episode of Only Kenshin, um, he says, like, I had to do the horrible, horrible stuff to myself, mutilate myself in order to become a spy. And I wonder, like, is this something that still takes place today in order to become a spy? Because... I know when you think about, um, you know, kind of going back to uh, America or some other uh, sovereign, maybe like, well, not so much sovereign states, but uh, maybe even places like Canada, you know, there's websites that you can go to. And what do they call them? They call them, quote unquote, special agents, <laughs> becoming a special agent. And to me, I feel like that's just a, a fancy word of saying becoming a spy. Now, of course, that doesn't mean when you become a special agent that you're going to do uh, stuff that is, um, you know, I guess you could say sneaky, uh, like spy like. But I think that's kind of the road to becoming a spy for a government, you know, or or even organizations. You know, I, like there are some secret organizations out there or very underground organizations out there like um the first one that comes to mind that I can remember is Blackwater. I think that's the name of them. Uh, and even though they're wealthy, from what I can recall, they can they do like unique jobs. Now, I'm not going to get into what type of jobs do they do, because honestly, I can't recall. <laughs> I can't remember exactly what they do, but I just know that they are something that some a group that can be hired for something specific. Um, that you can't necessarily find 
um, you know, just like, you know, in your everyday phone book, you know, or, or online Google, Googleable things. <laughs> hey, what's up, Kepi? The queen. Kepi says, they do things. <laughs> just believe that. <laughs> no, straight up, straight up. And so, yeah, I mean, so it just, you know, becoming a spy, you know, historically, you can see the implications here from Hanya that um, this was something that was taken very, very seriously. And I, I feel like it continues to, to be that way as well. And uh, when you think about some of the things that you might see in a news cycle where, oh, a, 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 a drone was caught spying on a certain location and stuff like that and was taken down and whatnot. And so it lets you know that, you know, spies, spies is something that still um, you know, uh, an occupation for today. Now it might be a little bit different now with technology. Um, you know, I think the first thing that comes to mind with that is, um, what do they talk about with cybersecurity? The, um, oh, I forget the technical name for it. I should know this. I really should know this, <laughs> but basically when you go on websites and you click on certain things, you are putting yourself at risk to where your information can be shared with other folks. And, you know, especially for those of you that are, you know, um, in discords, you hear people talk about spam or, um, um, you know, those that are looking to hack other people's accounts. So you got to be careful out there. Like there are people who are looking to transpass on your information and steal your information and, and sell it or do whatever they can. And to me, I feel like it's all mostly a money thing. Like, hey, if I can find some loophole to get to your bank account and not be held accountable and I can still buy stuff, from, from from without spending my own money, but can spend someone else's. Although that is truly despicable. And for any of you out there that are scamming and stuff like that, you get nothing from me. Nothing. <laughs> but okay. Well, we, hey, well, that was about a, some spy stuff, some spying. Uh, we move to our next anime for conversation. And that is... Season two of Bleach, Thousand Year Blood War, episode 23, titled Marching Out the Zombies 2. Dos. <laughs> Knee. <laughs> uh, man, in this episode, of course, we have the uh, one of the members from the Quincy Army, Giselle, who, you know, pretty much is used, has used his, her or other, her or his they, their ability on the 10th Captain Hitsugaya uh, to become a zombie. And so, you know, she pretty much brings out the big guns against uh, Captain Marui, Mayuri, uh, who you all know is one of my favorite captains in Bleach for Soul Society. And, you know, Mayuri, as smart as he is, he even acknowledges like, oh, snap, Hitsugaya is out here? Like she was able to control him? Okay, this this could potentially be a problem. And so I want to talk about targeting fan favorite characters. Now, I got to provide a little bit of context of like this topic because I don't think y'all really understand how big this episode of Bleach is um, within the Thousand Year Blood War series. 
Now, Bleach, I man, I can't think of the actual time frame of when it came out. So I want to say Bleach came out in, oh, we maybe 20, maybe, maybe 2009, something, something like that. No, no, no. I'll probably go back a little bit, maybe like 2007, somewhere around there. You know, it could be a bit, a bit later. I can't recall exactly when Bleach came out, but it's been a while. And so as the TV series progressed and the fandom started growing, especially from the success of the manga, um, you know, of course, manga chapters come out much sooner than the anime. And when the anime was halted after the... Um, Man, I want to forget what arc it was. They stopped. Uh, I want to say it was the the bookmark one. Man, I cannot. I'm sorry. I cannot remember the name of the arc. But I feel like that's a, about the place when they stopped. And the manga series was still going on strong throughout this thousand year blood war arc. And for any of y'all that were reading the manga series, it was fantastic. <laughs> it was fantastic. And you know, if you're like me. You were just kind of like, what? Like, you like they have to make an anime for this. They have to provide us with episodes of this because it's just too good. It's too good not to be animated, right? And so for years, literally years, we're talking about probably a decade before we even got to the, this anime, we were in a place where manga was the only place where you could get any new bleach content and when it when this marching out the zombies one came out and we saw that captain hitsugaya became a zombie bro the fan the fandom for hitsugaya lost their minds <laughs> i mean it was havoc i mean the forums the conversations that were taking place it was crazy like you had to have been there to know the vibes of how things were going. But th like the Captain Hitsugaya fandom was huge. Like he was, he was definitely one of the biggest supported artists or characters in the series of Bleach. And I mean, the sheer amount of fan art that he, that was made about this character, it was just a sight to behold. It was, it was huge. It was made. So mind you, when this happened, it shook up the whole Bleach fandom. Like that—that that was one of the things that everybody talked about. And I want to say, um, man, I can't. I want to say, like, with social media, it was a trending thing, but not the way it was. Not it wasn't encapsulated the way it is now because I don't think we had a Twitter at least around that time frame, and so you couldn't see everybody explode and talk about this one topic. You had to go to specific forums to see those conversations take place. And so it, it really makes me sad that we don't get to see how the fandom would have reacted if this anime would have came out around that time frame. You know, I mean, of course, it would have probably been like a year or two years after the fact because it takes time for them to develop the series and, you know, and to, to animate it. But, I mean... <laughs> It, it would have just exploded way bigger if it happened in that time. So that's the only thing that makes me sad about the context of the thousand year blood war. I'm happy that we finally got this, this series in animated form and it's been beautiful and great. But at the same time, I feel like we also been kind of robbed from that, 
the the pure reaction of what it would have been had it been within the time frame of when it was originally released, right? Uh, but yeah, targeted fan favorites. Why does this happen? Why does this happen in anime and our favorite mangas and TV shows? What is it? What is it about it? Now, I have this, this inkling, this belief that when authors are creating these characters and they're kind of looking at their the path of how everything is connected, they can pretty much, um, I would say, conceptualize that, you know what? I think that these characters are going to be well-beloved. All the, the efforts that I'm putting into these people, uh, or these characters, rather, and maybe they do some focus groups where they have a couple people read about these characters and stuff like that, and they can see them gravitating towards them. They have a, a good foundation of like, yes, this is going to be a character that everybody is going to absolutely adore and love, or at least build a strong connection with. And so I believe that Taik Kubo knew that uh, Hitsugaya was going to be someone, a character that everybody absolutely loved. I mean, he's, you know, very young looking, but he has that mature undertone with them. Um, he has a very like uh, good virtue about him as far as like how he feels about saving other people. I mean, he's a very lovable character. And so the idea of turning him into a zombie and making him an enemy I mean, it, it just sent the whole fandom spiraling out of control. And I think that for a series to go, like, I think most really, really good series have to have some type of tw like plot twist like this. Now, don't get me wrong. When you have some characters that are end up being removed from the series completely. Now, personally, I love that. <laughs> I, I personally love when fan favorite characters are put in a position where they're no longer in the series, whether they're murdered, uh, you know, they end up disappearing for a long period of time, whatever the case may be. I actually enjoy that because it allows you to put focus on other characters and kind of bring them up and it kind of boosts them. Um, and I mean, it just, you get it's like you're dis deassociated with that character, and now you're kind of forced to gravitate towards other things if you want to continue with that series. Now, the bad part about that is you have some folks out there that once you take their favorite character away, they are off the ride. <laughs> they they are no longer riding with you at all. They are done with the series. And man, I felt like that happened with um. What's one of those major series of recent time that it happened? Um, oh, uh, The Walking Dead, The Walking Dead series. If any of y'all are into zombies, speaking of, speaking of zombies, <laughs> um, The Walking Dead had a character named Carl who was the son. And you know, I'm not going to go into too much spoilers about it, but uh, some 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 bad things happened to Carl, and a lot of people were very turned off about his uh, the decision that they went with his character. And they lost some people, they lost some fans, some viewership because of it. Now, I don't know the true values of those numbers for that, se that series, if it completely fell off from that standpoint. But for me, I didn't care because I love so many other things about this show 
there was one character was not going to make or break it for me. That's kind of where I'm going with with this. And so hopefully, you know, those of you that are listening right now, uh, hopefully you're not off the boat on watching Bleach after <laughs> what happened to Captain Hitsugaya. Hey, you know, this anime is just too, too good to uh, let one character ruin it for you, right? <laughs> but maybe you feel otherwise. Let me know in the comments below. <laughs> but okay, we move on to our next anime for conversation. And this is actually going to be our last anime for discussion in tonight's podcast. And that is... Season 2 of Jujutsu Kaisen episode 32 titled Shibuya Incident. And so I'm not going to go into the specifics about this episode because you really should watch it. <laughs> but long story short, um, Ghetto has a plan that he's working with with Mahito where they put together a whole, they, they pretty much uh, trap a whole bunch of people's regular citizens that do not know um uh, jujutsu uh, magic, you know, for a long story short. And they say, they like, hey, you know what? We're going to, we're making this trap because we want our boy to come and save the day. Now, who is our boy? I'll let y'all decide who that, who that is. But all I'm going to say is those beautiful eyes. And for those that are watching, you know exactly what I mean. But um, but one thing that I saw in this episode that was quite shocking was Ghetto. So Ghetto, for those of y'all are watching the video right now, you see Ghetto on the screen. He's blowing bubbles. I'm like, wait, what a minute. Wait a minute. This is so rare to see some bubbles being blown in an anime. So I just, I just had to have a topic about this. And I want to talk about the benefit for blowing bubbles. I mean, now, first of all, did you know that there were actually benefits to blowing bubbles? Now, this might come to surprise to y'all, but this is actually really good for the development for kids. So um, a pediatric occupational therapist and founder for the website of Sensory Lifestyle, they have these things to say when it comes down to things that can help kids when it comes down to blowing bubbles. So the first thing is their fine motor skills. Uh, when they're blowing bubbles, it helps them exercise their fingers and hands so it can increase the child's ability to accomplish a task, which, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like, okay, I have this um, blowing device in my hand that I got to, you know, that I got to hold and this is going to help me exercise my fingers and my hands. And so young kids can pop bubbles with their hands while other children can use the dipstick uh, or the bubble wand into the solution. And so these are all going to help them with their motor skills. Then you also have their gross motor skills. Now these involve using larger muscles to complete particular movements. So when children um, practice these skills by chasing after the bubbles or jumping after the bubbles to pop them, these are things that are going to help build up their muscles and those gross motor skills, which it's like, it's so crazy because as I talk about these things, I think we take some of those developmental things for granted. We don't realize some of those things that that's being built to help, you know, young folks develop much faster and become stronger. 
so then we also have your oral motor skills. And so this is moving your oral muscles, which helps improve your child's coordination for communicating and eating. So you're uh, when you're allowing your children to use those wands to blow bubbles, it's a great way for them to implement the muscles around their mouths. And man, like, yeah, <laughs> I think about the amount of bubbles that I blow when I was a kid. Man, thank you. Thank you, Bubbles. <laughs> I, I appreciate you. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, listening skills. So your listening skills can go a long way for children in their development uh, states because blowing bubbles assists children with body awareness, cognitive development, and responsiveness. And so while they're playing, engaging in these skills by instructing children to pop the bubbles with different parts of their bodies and stuff like that. So like, hey, uh, young Jay, you know, try blowing a bubble with your fingers. And so I dip my, you know, my fingers into the solution and I try blowing my bu bubbles that way. Or, okay, no, you know what? Take the bubble wand and do it that way, you know, and do it like this. This is all a part of listening skills that help them develop that as well. So, yeah, you know, shout outs to um, the group at the Sensory Lifestyle website. I thought that was really, really good information to know about how blowing bubbles can benefit uh, specifically for kids in their developmental states. And yeah, I thought that was pretty exciting. I, I, I definitely thought that was really cool to know. I mean, it makes perfect sense when you think about it too. Well, okay, well, hey, I hope that you learned something cool today or you enjoyed the discussions that we had in today's podcast episode. Of course, you know, I want to thank you if you're a new listener, you know, out there, please be sure to check out the links below in the description as you can find more dope bingo book podcast content on DSPs wherever you listen to your podcast at. And of course, we have our videos on our YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, and Kick pages, uh, especially if you want to participate in some of our live streams, which we do every Sunday around 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But you would definitely want to make sure you go to my Discord called Jay's Crib. Uh, and that's where you can get your notifications whenever I go live because sometimes life happens and um, I can't go live when I want to. <laughs> so getting those, those um, notifications there definitely goes a long way. But hey, also just to have you a part of our community will definitely help us. You know, we're getting closer and closer to our 50 member goal. So we'd love to have you there a part of uh, a part of us with us. Uh, and hey, that's all that I have for tonight. I uh, really appreciate those that came by, you know, our reoccurring audience. Shout out to Kepi, shout out to Val. We have some some new viewers as well, young uh, Janae. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for attending today's podcast. That's all I have for tonight. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and I hope that you have a great week, and I'll see y'all next time. Peace.